What's it like for you to come up here? Emotional. Brings back memories? Yes. Well, it makes me think of the past and the future. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's not. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and I'm in the exclusion zone at Muriwai with a homeowner looking at his red-stickered property. There's no sign of damage, but he's not allowed in. What's worse is he may never get his money out of it. Most of our life savings were in that property, yes. That's hard to think about sometimes. I hope the government can work with the insurance industry to fill this hole that we didn't know about. That hole could leave him and dozens of homeowners like him hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket. Today on The Detail, I'm in this community on Auckland's west coast, just over a month after the deadly impact of Cyclone Gabrielle. To find out what life is like for residents who had to rush from their homes as tonnes of earth and trees tumbled down the steep hill. We're still a community that's grieving. We're still a community that has been badly affected by this. And we ask for some level of understanding of that. Until you come here and see that, you don't understand really um, the problems that we've got here in Muriwai. The loss of a beautiful dream. And we literally would stand on our deck every night and pinch ourselves and just be like, we live in paradise. I don't know how we're going to rebuild that. It's going to be very different to that. That is the deepest part of this. We'll get to them soon, but here in the exclusion zone that bore the brunt of those landslides is a street of red, white and yellow stickered homes. This red stickered homeowner doesn't want to be named, but we're just a few houses away from that slip that claimed the lives of two of his friends from the volunteer fire brigade. What are we looking at here? So we're looking at home, which is at the bottom of a hill. The slip has come down and completely damaged our neighbour's property, but we don't have any damage on our property. I can't even see a slip around you, actually. You're surrounded by a beautiful bush there. Well, there's no visible damage to the property, and that's a point of contention with the uh, insurance companies. But it's red-stickered. Yes, so you'll be able to see the red sticker on the letterbox here. So the reason why you are red stickered is not because there's any damage to your place, it's because of the danger. The risk. The potential risk. And I'm not arguing with the council to change that. Mm. I think there's valid reasons for it. My main concern is, you know, how, how do we move on with our lives and when? And what, will you never be able to live in there? That's yet to be seen. It's likely the council will take three to six months to make any change to this red sticker designation. In the meantime, we can't claim anything from our insurance because there's no damage. Mm. The same with EQC. So in your insurance contract, if there's no damage, you don't get any payout? Correct. Um, I think the term used in the contracts, most contracts, is physical loss or damage, and that applies to the property or the house itself and not to the owner's use of. You're clearly frustrated. I guess when we took out the insurance, I didn't fully understand the potential holes in that. 
and that we could ever fall into that hole. So you think that you're going to be waiting, what, three to six months before the council makes a decision? Yes, and then another six to 12 months for the government. Why that length of time? That has happened in Christchurch. I don't know if any frameworks will speed that up this time around. Plus there's uh, obviously um, huge impacts in the Hawke's Bay and other parts of Auckland. So I'm not expecting the wheels of government to turn any faster than they used to. What are you being told? From government, very little at the moment, although several of our local MPs around the region are helping us to engage with the government, but it's early days. Right now we're engaging with the council to get information as quickly and as reliably as we can. What kind of information are you getting so far? Getting drips and drabs. There's a weekly newsletter. There's uh, drips and drabs through contacts. And it's getting better, I think. So what do you know so far about the future of your home? We've got to wait. The, The geotech engineers need that time to reliably assess the safety of the hill. We're sitting outside your home. How does it make you feel? Hard to say. It's been a good home. I'd like to go back if it was safe. And we'll find somewhere else. I'm not normally emotional, although I do cry in movies. And financially, where does it leave you at the moment? We are getting help through temporary accommodation uh, via our contents insurance and from donations by kind locals lending us a caravan to live in but we need to move into um, a house sooner or later yeah the long-term financial aspect is on hold Mm. and that's what we're uh, trying to explain I guess to the government if the insurance company says no there is no claim then, as you say, a lot of your life savings are in that house. Correct. Would it be difficult to start again, find another property or find another place to buy? I expect we wouldn't be able to buy in Auckland. I guess the the type of property that we would be happy with. So we're currently dreaming of moving to other parts of New Zealand. Do You, you don't want to stay in Muruwai? I do really want to stay in Miorawai. Um, My fear is that I won't be able to afford to. That's the other side of things for you, isn't it? Being part of a community and also the loss of two fire brigade mates. Yep. That's that's pretty hard to think about, uh, Mm. Craig and Dave. But the community has been awesome. The Community Emergency Network in particular and all of the people that helped. It's eerily quiet on this beautiful autumn morning in Muriwai. I'm driving around with Jeremy Jones, who helped set up the Community Emergency Network Facebook page. He says Muriwai is still in crisis. We're close to the car park right next to the beach, and there's a kind of a, a marquee tent right there. I don't know, why would that be there outside the ranger's uh, That was station? set up because they had, uh, the Auckland Emergency Management had some services down here. Even Red Cross were down here for a while. It's been four weeks since the disaster, just over four weeks. So 
up until now, it has looked like an absolute disaster zone. Has it? Yeah. Um, mm. And I guess having um, Red Cross people walking around it, yeah, it was a real disaster um, feel. Yeah, about it. it reinforced and that. And it was a really strange feeling, Sharon. Um, being inside Mirawai felt like a disaster zone, and then you go outside of Mirawai and people are riding their bikes around and not even realising the what's going on inside Mirawai. So it was a re- really unusual time. And even now it must be unusual because you're not shut in. The rest of Auckland is shut out in a way. Yes, it's a residents-only area at the moment and it needs to be so that we, we, we can sort the situation out without ha- also having to deal with thousands of other people. Do you feel like the rest of Auckland understands what's going on here? I really want to say that we, we've been really well supported by our local community, by our schools, by the organisations around in the area, but also by wider community around Auckland. I want to extend a huge debt of gratitude to all those people that have helped us and are still helping us and we we needed that help our our community was heavily affected by this there were 202 homes that were evacuated some of those homes the people in them had to leave with literally the clothes on their back and in some cases the jammies and not even the clothes on their back so It was a tremendously traumatic experience for those people, each of those households that have had to evacuate, and as well as the wider community of Mirawai, have had some loss, some trauma of some type. Some has been a lot worse than others, but without the support and the generosity of the community and the wider community of Auckland and New Zealand, we would have had a much greater suffering. This is beautiful Malkatea, Māori Bay, very popular surf spot. So as you can see here, the regional park is closed, mm. um, and up here, the reason they've closed off that area there where the fences are will, is because there's, there's been slips uh, on the track out to the gannets. Can we go and have a look at that? Sure. This is actually a really good place to see uh, very roughly the geology of most of the west coast and, and just about all of Mirawai. So you see those hard rocks? They're volcanic rocks. Above that you can see the sandstone. So there's a, there's a, a layer of sandstone at the top, volcanic rocks at the bottom. The problem with the slips was that when we had that unprecedented rainfall um, with Gabriel, the water comes and soaks into that sandstone, becomes very heavy, and the, the, the layer between the sandstone and the volcanic rock, that's where the water starts coming out or building up pressure. And once that happens, it destabilises the sandstone above. And that's what happened on, on, on the night of Gabriel, um, where uh, that de- destabilisation started to move that sandstone, the water came gushing out, and once it starts moving, it gets a little bit looser, a little bit like the liquefaction in Christchurch, and then the slits start occurring. 
Don't you love it? Yeah. <laughs> a little slice of Maruai, normal Maruai life, you Very might normal. say, yeah, a boy <laughs> skating down an empty road on a skateboard. So, Kat Corbett, you've just come up to me and said you're never going back to your home? Never, no. Why? It's stuck under one of the, the biggest slip in Maruai. The night of the event, we literally ran out of the house in our undies down one side of the house as the slide was coming down the other. Pretty extraordinary experience. Why are you never going back? Is it still red-stickered? It's very red-stickered, and we literally have... The cliff fell into our garden. It's probably, in some places, 10 metres deep. So where we would have had a 5 to 10 metre drop off the side of our property, that's almost level. Yeah, and we've got uh, trees through the walls. So it's beyond repair. My husband's a civil engineer. He seems to think it really is. I, I think the cost to remediate that would be extraordinary. But of course, we need to go down and do that process and go down that road. We're just ma- we're just wildly speculating at this point. Yeah. Jeremy says to me that even some people who are allowed back in just don't want to go back in. I mean, if you even if you felt it could be repaired how would you feel about going back there there's no way there's absolutely no way I could I could have my children in that house and feel safe if you want to stay in this community Mm. would you build somewhere else would you buy something else well that's a whole new conundrum right um so yeah we're just faced with quite a big loss in equity about an equity whack um whether we can buy back here, I'm not sure. That we just we'll wait and see. We're not trying to look too far into the future because that's a bit overwhelming. So we're very much just like, let's live today. <laughs> How would you describe what what it's been like in the last four weeks? I mean, Jeremy talks about the incredible generosity and kindness of people within this community, but also from the outside. It's been absolutely mind blowing how people have rallied around us and looked after us and just the care is extraordinary. Would you say people are fragile? Oh, it's incredibly delicate. Everyone is delicate and it's so, just so difficult for so many people and everyone's situations are so different. You know, people who are mortgage-free, who have worked their whole lives for their, their home and certainly insurance won't be able to replace what they've got and, you know, they're sitting sort of in their sort of 50s, 60s, and it's very difficult. So the uncertainty is, um, it's enormous. How are you feeling now? It's very strange. I feel like there's this amazing opportunity ahead. You know, I firmly believe that within, when, you've, when you get chaos like this, there is a silver lining, and you've just got to look for it and hope that it will appear. Um, so that's very much where I'm at. I know I can't look back because it's too, it's too sad. And I can't, like I said, look forward because it's just too daunting. So it's just being so grateful for today. So we're coming up to the surf club now. Mm. On the night of the disaster, this was where people evacuated to. Um, There was quite a lot of chaos at that time. The surf club ended up um, flooding a little bit. You know, there's wind, there's rain. The power was out. Um, people were scared, there were kids crying, dogs barking, orders being given. Uh, once they assembled down here, they were taken by Unimog out to Waimaku Hall, 
and then to the Trust Stadium. So it was a it was a really hard and traumatic night for a lot of people. It's still a community hub, or is this yeah? The... So the Surf Club have been incredibly generous in letting um, the community use their facilities here. There's meetings here. But more importantly, there's this, which is the food hub, which this was set up quite early on in the piece to allow people to access um, blankets and clothes and have a point where, where people who are donating food could could put that in. Yeah. What do you feel needs to be done now? Is it is it about supporting those who still can't move home? Yes. Uh, so myself and, I guess, the other people who are white-stickered are happy to be moving back home, but I think we all realise that there is still a crisis here in Mirawai. There's still people who are not in their homes and who won't be for a while and have got a rough journey ahead. Um, So I think we need to be mindful of that. We need to be mindful of the loss. Um, We're not having parties in the street because we're back in our homes because we know that our next-door neighbours are not. Outside the fire station and just across the road from the exclusion zone, I meet Maggie Brott. You've got your high-vis vest on, which says census stats. So are you still doing census work? I am. So today's going to be the first day I'm actually going to tackle this corner of Mototara. I haven't gone in that way just to see. Now that I know that there are more houses that are not dangerous mm-hmm. i'm happy to go through You're there and find and find mm-hmm. the residents that are still there because again the census like you know we only do it every five years and we don't we even just capturing the refugee status of that of this many displaced people from from last week on tuesday when the question is i think it's very vital for the for the community and for government to understand so i've appreciated being able to go through and find you know where where our refugees have been placed in it i know in some homes you know you're there and but you know you're from the domain you're over there making sure that everybody's counted because we need to rebuild Murawai. But there's still a lot of issues in the wider Norwest community that the census was very vital for me to, for me to make sure our community was, was getting their voice across. That means that you've got a bit of an insight into what's going on. You weren't affected yourself. No, Your I, house wasn't affected, so yes. you still live at home. Mm-hmm. But what... What are you seeing there? What, what are you seeing out in this community? So I am enjoying going door knocking and meeting all of my neighbours who I didn't know. And the sense of resilience is there. There's a lot of survivor guilt from people, whether they had no damage to their home or even I've got a friend who is in a red stickered property that just yesterday went white. So she's you know, happy to go back, but she's still feeling that survivor guilt because she knows, you know, neighbours left and right don't have that. The food hub, is it still open? It is still open. The demand is seeming to recede a bit, but there are 15 different households that are still based at the campgrounds, and that's people who still don't have some other place to be but want to be here, need to be here, need to be close, whether their children are in school, their their jobs are here, their lives are here, they can't displace themselves someplace else. Sure, so, but food, what? Why would they... I mean, this this might sound a bit harsh, but why do they still need food? The food hub need is coming down, but initially the whole point was your house may be red-stickered, you may be here, but you may not have a car. Your car may still be in your driveway, and you literally can't get out to go to the store, so it's not, I can't support myself. It's something's missing from my normal cycle to be able to be self-supportive. I understand. And that, and that's the, that was the issue. Have you come across anything surprising or shocking still? I mean, four weeks after the event? 
the things that were more shocking, actually, were when council changed their mind last week on Friday and decided, hey, let's... I know we told you two weeks ago we're here to support you and we'll keep the cordon in and we'll make sure you're covered. But when they pulled back and went, oh, well, wait a minute. No, we don't need to be here. That was very gutting to the community because so much of council and government staff had been so supportive and had said we're going to be here. So to quickly have that pulled away was shocking and quite raw. I was very happy to see how quickly all of the community and that Facebook group put out the need to make that change and how and I was happy that within 24 hours council had pulled their head in now it took a little bit of politician you know response and and a lot of neighborhood complaints before that happened but council have to make better choices and just stick to whatever they're going to say because that's not going to work for anybody you can probably smell the contents of our freezer sitting in that bag Oh, really? Just took that out yesterday. Did you? Day before yesterday, yeah. It was interesting. We were just down at the coffee shop and you had a little chat with one of your neighbours. And he he talked about, you know, he had 10 minutes to go into his house and collect things. And it's really hard to make a decision about what to get because not only are you thinking of that, but it's the emotion of going back inside this place that you love. That's right. Your mind is racing. Uh, we made a list, so that helped keep us on track. I've heard of other families that carried out 20 kilos of dog food because that was their priority. You, your mind goes crazy when you're in a time-bound situation like that. There's so much to choose from. Um, so you're living in a caravan here. We're, it's going, we're heading towards winter. What's ahead for you? We have secured some rental accommodation that we'll move into soon. It's very expensive. And that's not covered by any kind of insurance? Our insurance temporary accommodation will cover that for about five months. And after that, um, we'll see. So we've reduced the mortgage to interest only. We'll have to make some decisions in four months. But the decisions aren't in your hands. You're waiting for the council to make a decision and then for the government to move? Some decisions are in our hands. We can choose where we want to live and we want to live in Muriwai. Mm. I want to stay part of the fire brigade in particular, which means I've got a much smaller area to choose from in order to respond in a timely to, to emergencies. I, I hope we can find accommodation at an affordable price for, for a decent amount of time. Is there anything else that you want to tell me, any kind of message? It would be to ask the government to engage with locally-led recovery efforts and probably more importantly is to fix that insurance gap. I'm sure the government uh, has access to many people that can come up with a solution that doesn't leave people destitute. There'll be people far worse off than us, so I hope we can find a solution. Uh, I expect it will just become more prevalent as storms get bigger and harder. And it's a complex situation, both from a, a geotechnical weather, natural disaster point of view, as well as the financial institutions involved. 
And there are hopes that the new natural hazards insurance law will deal to this, but it doesn't come into effect until next year. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to the good people of Muriwai. Kakite anō.